Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a Facebook documentary series shows the trials and tribulations of a father who identifies as a mother and is now trying to breastfeed his child. Shockingly, it's not going well. Also, five headlines, including Joe Biden claiming that voter ID laws are the new Jim Crow. And Anthony Fauci says that your three-year-old still needs to be masked. I mean, my three-year-old has never been masked to begin with, but uh, he's saying you still need to have a mask on the three-year-old. And another ESPN host, another one, finds himself in a racism controversy. And in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the campaign for greater fat acceptance in the workplace. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So I want to tell you about Helix Mattress. You know, Helix Mattress, I think, I ha- has proven for me to be kind of a blessing and a curse. A curse only in the sense that it's so comfortable that I, I rely on it. And when I'm out traveling at a hotel or something like that, staying at somebody's house and they don't have a Helix mattress, uh, I struggle. You know, I've, I become kind of a coddled baby in that way because Helix mattresses are just so comfortable. And the reason they're so comfortable is that they you can get them customized to match exactly your body type and all of your sleep preferences. And you get the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, if you sleep on your side or your back, however you sleep, Whatever your body type is, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. You don't need to take their word for it either or my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. If you want to see why that is, if you want to experience it for yourself, just go to helixsleep.com walsh, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you with the perfect mattress for you. And then all you got to do is buy that mattress. And right now, as far as buying the mattresses, Helix is offering up to $200 off and free pillows with all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Walsh. That again is helixsleep.com slash Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. Now, before we get going today, I need to mention something that's pretty exciting, or at least mildly interesting. I don't want to oversell it. I did just start my own weekly newsletter. Everyone else has newsletters these days. Uh, There's a lot of newsletters out there, but those newsletters are written by other people. This is the world's first newsletter to be written by me. So once again, I am an innovator and a trendsetter. So if you want to be blessed by this newsletter once a week, all you have to do is go to mattwalshreport.com. I have my own fancy URL and everything. mattwalshreport.com. Give us your email address and uh, you'll get that newsletter every Friday. Okay, now here's something that may or may not appear in this week's newsletter. Uh, I may not be able to stomach talking about it anymore beyond this segment. But a video went viral this week featuring a clip from a show called Nine Months with Courtney Cox. Now, as the title suggests, the show is uh, supposed to document the journey of various parents through pregnancy, birth, and into the early days and months of raising a newborn. One of the couples profiled on the show are a man and a woman named Ahanu and Patrona. Ahanu is the mom and Patrona is the dad. This is kind of hard to keep track of because, you know, since this is Facebook we're talking about, and this is also modern society we're talking about, there's a catch. Ahanu, the mom, identifies as the dad, and Patrona, the dad, identifies as the mom. An article on The Federalist gives more background. It says, quote, Ahanu, a female identifying as a male, and her partner Patrona, um, a male identifying as a female, were caught off guard by the pregnancy news because they both were using hormone replacement therapy. As the episodes go on, Cox claims the couple faces discrimination at the doctor's office because someone wrongly assumed each partner's sex. They didn't even speak to me, Ahanu said. Quote, I just felt like they just made assumptions, making an assumption from the very beginning without even asking our names, not asking a thing about us, Patrona added. Well, just to make a side note here, 
Um, that's because when it comes to your biological sex, and really, really we don't need to say biological sex because there's no other kind. Um, but when it comes to your, to your sex, uh, your name doesn't matter. We, we don't need any, we don't need to know anything about your personality. We don't need to know what your hobbies are, what your interests, what your hopes and dreams are. Because it's, it's all that matters is the biology. They determine that physically. Which is why you could dig up the remains of someone long ago dead and tell what sex they were. You can't interview them. You can't ask their name. You can't ask how they identify. And yet you can tell the sex. Oftentimes. Um, back to the Federalist, it says, leading up to the home birth, the couple opted to prevent further, which they opted to prevent further medical discrimination and trauma. The show also documented the couple's struggle to claim my truth, quote unquote, and choose who in their families will respect their wishes to raise a non-binary child. A hunter said, quote, the gender binary was very violent and growing up, I had a gender assigned to me and it caused me a lot of unnecessary trauma. It's very lonely and isolating. Like I know my parents could do more. Patrona also expressed reluctance that uh, his family would choose to ignore the baby's sex because their minds are filled with Christian supremacy. Now, this is all deranged enough as it is, but it gets worse. Here is the actual viral clip mentioned earlier. It shows Patrona, the biological father, attempting to breastfeed the newborn. You probably didn't think you'd get a chance to see male breastfeeding on the show today, and you certainly don't want to see it, I'm sure, but here it is anyway. Let's watch. I just felt really thankful for Ahanu for creating our family. Oh, I just put it over here. The baby has been able to latch, but I've not been able to produce any milk. It's okay because we're going to supplement the feeding with formula so that my baby's still getting the, the nutrients that they need, but I'm still feeling hopeful. I appreciate you so much for all your work. I appreciate you also, baby. I couldn't die without you. Is he getting any milk, the person behind the camera asks? Well, no, he isn't, because he's being breastfed by his dad. And uh, dads don't produce milk. Now, it'll be pointed out by some people attempting to justify this grotesque display that actually, technically, in some cases, men can lactate, and that's true. There's always people ready with the, with, the, with the rare medical exception saying, well, here's this crazy exception I, I found on Google, which, which totally undermines the entire uh, sexual binary. There have been a few recorded instances of this due to medical anomalies of, uh, or other circumstances. I think, I think a certain kind of tumor can have this effect, uh, for example. But these are medical anomalies, rare cases, extreme exceptions. And there's no reliable recorded instance of a man actually producing enough milk to keep a baby fed. There are, however, billions of recorded instances of women producing enough milk for a baby because that is how nature has designed it. But as we've seen, nature is often told to take a backseat. It is often subverted in order to serve the emotional needs of deluded narcissists. Speaking of narcissism, this is an aspect of our contemporary gender madness and really our contemporary madness as a whole, it's an aspect that isn't uh, talked about a lot. There, there's a lot of mental illness at work here, clearly, but there's also something simpler and more common, which is narcissism. 
the conviction that myself is the center of all things and all of reality must conform to my expectations for it. There's perhaps no picture that captures narcissism more profoundly or grossly than that of a father calling himself a mother while trying to breastfeed his helpless infant. And what about that infant? You know, we're told that the lifestyle choices other people make are not our business because nobody's being harmed. This isn't hurting anyone but out, they say. But, you know, the baby counts as someone. The baby is a person. And he, he didn't choose to be caught in the middle of this. He didn't choose to become a prop in this macabre stage play. He didn't choose to be part of uh, the costume that is being worn here. And that's the case for many kids born into these sorts of situations. Or all of the kids born in these situations. None of them chose it. And really, it's, it's the case for all kids, actually. Across, across uh, all of Western culture. Even those with moms and dads who are actually moms and dads and call themselves as such. We have a whole generation of people born into a reality that has been completely redefined to suit what was once a tiny minority. All humans in history until now were born into a world where at least the most basic realities were acknowledged and recognized. We now have at least one generation in the West and more to follow who will be deprived of that blessing. And it's a sad thing that we can call it a blessing, that we could call reality to simply live in reality, to be raised in reality, and to be taught about the most basic aspects of reality. The fact that we have to even call that a blessing now tells you everything you need to know. But we have gener- we're going to have generations of kids, millions of kids, who are born without that, not given that. So is, is, is this affecting someone? Is this harming other people? Yeah, I'd say so. Now let's get to our five headlines. We've got a new sponsor on the show today. That's uh, Thompson Cigar. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a cigar expert, but I do know that um, I like cigars. And also, you, you always look cool with a cigar in your hand. That's just that's a fact of the matter. And look, you, for me, a cigar, a whiskey, reading a book, that's, a, that's, that's my happy place right there. Doesn't get much better than that. So whether you're working from home or just kicking back after a week of, uh, of, uh, of working, there's no better way to relax than with a premium cigar. With over a century in the business, these guys really know their stuff. So you don't have to know everything about cigars because they're going to help you out. They've got the best prices on the biggest brands in the business from Macanudo to Monte Cristo. Looking to try, uh, if you want to try something new, something rare, some top-rated blends, but you don't want to splurge on a whole box, well, you can check out Thompson's Cigar Tour. It's a smattering of five different blends delivered to your doorstep each month. And this gives you a chance to try out new stuff and, uh, and you're kind of relying on them to send you the best, and they do. In Thompson's five-pack fever program, they have the largest selection of samplers online with the option to build your own or choose from over 300 different five-pack options to mix and match, which is usually what I go with, and I cannot recommend it enough. So sit back and take a break from all the craziness with a cigar from Thompson Cigar Company. These guys rarely do offers, but right now, Thompson is offering our listeners 15% off on orders that are over $75 or 20% off on orders over $99 take advantage of these incredible savings, simply go to thompsoncigar.com and use promo code Walsh 
when you're ready to check out. That, that website is Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, cigar.com, and use promo code Walsh. Well, we got to talk about Joe Biden to begin with, but I, I, I did see this. I wanted to mention sad story. Very sad story. Uh, apparently, and this is in, um, this is from WTVG 13 ABC, local affiliate serving Ohio and uh, Southeast Michigan. Anyway, there was a, they had a, a big George Floyd mural that um, collapsed. You know, we've seen all these, these George Floyd murals all over the country. People painting these murals to honor uh, a convicted violent felon who forced his way into a woman's home at gunpoint and, and robbed her. Um, and then died while high on fentanyl and resisting arrest. People making murals to honor him. And, and one of them, it, it was you know, on a brick wall and it kind of collapsed. And at first the pictures were circulating yesterday and people were saying, how, well, how did this happen? That this, what, a, what a tragedy uh, that this mural fell apart. Was this some good Samaritan? I mean, not good Samaritan. Was this some dastardly evildoer who destroyed the mural? Well, it turns out now here's the update. This is according to the ABC affiliate. Witnesses have said that the mural was struck by lightning and then collapsed. And that's, that is, that is something, isn't it? You know, it's not, it's not often that you see damage to, you know, the, the brick siding on a, on a, on a building because of, of lightning. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens, but it's pretty rare. I mean, how many murals have we seen that have been destroyed, that have been struck by lightning from the sky? That's the report anyway. It was struck by lightning. Oh man, how sad, how unfortunate. I mean, it's almost, it's almost as if this is some kind of sign. I don't know. I don't want to make too much out of it. But uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's almost like you, you might think that maybe it's almost like God is saying to us, hey, you know, you shouldn't be celebrating a violent felon and horrible person who forced his way into a woman's home and robbed her at gunpoint and then died while overdosing on fentanyl. It's almost like God is saying that to us. You know, the, the left, they have their statues and murals and monuments that they want to destroy. And so they have to go themselves and do it. Mobs of people go and, and do it. But this one, this was taken care of from, from the heavens. I don't know. Very interesting. Lots of conclusions could be drawn. All right, let's move here. Number one, Joe Biden gave his uh, big speech on voter rights. And we played the clip yesterday of uh, Jen Psaki talking about what, you know, previewing what this speech would contain. The actual thing itself was somehow even more deranged and dishonest than uh, than it was originally than as it, than than how it was originally sold. Let's let's listen. Seventeen states have enacted, not just proposed, but enacted twenty eight new laws to make it harder for Americans to vote. Not to mention, and catch this, nearly four hundred additional bills Republican members of the state legislatures are trying to pass. 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. 
we're going to challenge it vigorously. The assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates, back then, never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. I'm not saying this to alarm you. I'm saying this because you should be alarmed. Uh, I'm not saying this to alarm you, but you should be alarmed. Look, I'm not trying to alarm you, but be very alarmed. Uh, he says it's not hyperbole, but of course it is hyperbole. This is the greatest threat. In fact, he, he seems to be saying it's not just the greatest threat since the Civil War, but it's a greater threat than the Civil War. This, this is worse than the Civil War, he seems to actually be saying. Whether he's saying it's worse than or as bad as, uh, either way, it's just as dishonest and, and obscene. We're talking about laws. Here's what we have to keep repeating it. And sometimes I don't, I feel like I repeat myself too much. But the lies are repeated every single day ad nauseum. And this is the tactic to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them until the people who know the truth get tired of pointing it out. And it's kind of, you, you, you win that way, but the other side just gives up, kind of flooding the zone with all these lies. And so you have to keep repeating the truth. And the truth here is that we're talking about laws that would simply require people to produce some kind of identification in order to vote. Just like they have to produce identification to do almost anything else in adult life. If you want to be a functioning adult in modern society, you already need to have some kind of photo ID. And so all we're saying is let's take that and let's apply it to voting. If you don't have a photo ID, great news. You've got four years to get one. Can you manage it in four years? I think you can. I don't care what position you're in. I don't care if we're talking about uh, in, in elderly, you know, let's take the most extreme case, elderly, poverty-stricken, blind woman living out, you know, 100 miles from the nearest town. If this, if, if, if the hypothetical, if this person even exists, doesn't have an ID somehow, can we get that hypothetical person an ID in the next, uh, in the next three or four years? I think we can. Even the most extreme hypothetical cases. But speaking of, speaking of people living out in the country, because we're kind of, we're, it's, they're, they're playing both sides here. We're getting, we're getting both versions of the, of the story. What Joe Biden is saying, and what we, what we hear from Democrats usually, is that voter ID laws are racist. It's just like Jim Crow. It's a conspiracy to keep black people out of the voting booth. Which is to imply that black people don't know how to get IDs. That's the implication. Black people are too incompetent to figure out how to get a, an ID. Which is total nonsense, obviously. But then you've got Kamala Harris, and we played the clip a couple days ago, where she's talking about, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that's just as patronizing and insulting, she's talking about rural Americans and how they don't, they can't even, 
They got no Kinkos around, which is true because Kinkos don't exist, but uh, they can't figure out how to make photocopies. They live way out there in the country. Uh, so, so which is it? Is this something that's targeting rural Americans? Or is it targeting um, black people? Is it Jim Crow? Now, of course, there are black people living out in rural America, but that's predominantly white. And so if you're telling, this, telling us that these are laws uniquely affecting rural people, then you're talking about predominantly white people. So even if the laws are wrong, if they're, if they're victimizing rural people and people who live in the cities, then it's not racist, at least. It's just wrong across the board. If the laws are not wrong. But they can't be racist in that case. I think what they're, the reason why they're, the balancing act they're trying to, trying to accomplish here is that, yeah, they want to be able to call the laws racist. That's the hook. That's the selling point for them is that it's racist. But at the same time, it's, it's hard. they can't really explain why, let's say, a black person living in, in a city can't get an ID. You got DMVs all over the place. I mean, I, I know here in Nashville, living in the city, uh, we've got every, every five miles there's a DMV. So it's hard to explain, well, why can't you get an ID? And then, so then they have to go to, to explain why, you know, a circumstance where a person might not be able to get, get an ID, they have to go to people living in far-flung, far-fetched areas, rural America, separated from, from modern civilization. And of course, again, if, you're going, if, you're, if that's who you're talking about, then you're talking about predominantly white people. So that's the, the way they switch things up and hope you won't notice. They say, oh, these, these, these laws are racist. They're, uh, they're, they're going to prevent black people from voting. And then you ask, well, what do you mean? Why, why would they stop anyone from voting? What are you talking about? And they say, well, what about rural people living out in the country? But, yeah, but you were just, that's not what you just said. That's not, that's not the situation you were just talking about. So it's all, it's all just dishonest, obviously. Going down to number two, Tony Fauci is still at it, clinging on to his relevance desperately, just like he wants your three-year-old to cling to his mask. And here he is. He's asked about, uh, what about, what about little kids, kids over two? Uh, we had been told all last year they're supposed to be wearing a mask. Do they still have to wear a mask? And Fauci says yes. But what does this spread of the Delta variant mean for them, for the children under the age of 12? And what's the timeline for when they might become eligible? The children who are not able to get vaccinated because of their age should follow, their parents should follow with them, the guidelines of the CDC. That unvaccinated children of a certain age, greater than two years old, should be wearing masks. No doubt about that. That's the way to protect them from getting infected, because if they do, they can then spread the infection to someone else. So the CDC guidelines for unvaccinated people, including children, are not changed at all. We are currently doing, we being the federal government together in collaboration with the pharmaceutical companies, age de-escalation studies, namely looking at the safety and the immunogenicity of vaccines in children from 12 to 9 years old and from 9 to 6 
then from six to two years old, and then ultimately from six months to two years old. Those data will likely be available by the end of the year, and then it will be up to the FDA to decide when they will make a recommendation that, in fact, this could be done in the sense of vaccinating children of that age. <laughs> this guy is really, uh, he is really a scumbag. This is, this is a villainous person. He truly is. This is an old man, been in the government, leeching off of the government, a parasite for decades now. Bungling everything every step of the way, never accomplishing anything of note in his entire worthless career. And now he refuses to go away. He could just go, go, go away. You had your time in the sun, ride off into the sunset. We don't need you now. We didn't need you then. We certainly don't need you now. Go home and be retired. You're what, 75 or something? Just go home. But he can't do it. He's addicted. Doing the cable news hits. People treating him like an authority figure, caring what he has to say. He's addicted to it. He cannot leave it. What did he just say there? He he said, not only should your three-year-old still be wearing a mask, and I say still, but there should be no still because your three-year-old never should have worn a mask to begin with. But um, not only should your three-year-old still be wearing a mask, he says, but and for the foreseeable future. He says, well, we got to, uh, the, the end of the year, we'll have these studies back and then the FDA will make a recommendation and then the CDC will say something and then we'll figure it out and then we'll do this and that. And, uh, you know, maybe by the, maybe by the time they, they're, you know, hit their 18th birthday, they can take the mask off. Maybe. In some ways, I, I want to say it doesn't matter what Fauci says. There's no point in even getting upset about it because who is still listening to this fraud, this goon? Who's still listening to him? If you're still listening to him, and I know there are people who are, um, that's why he's on MSNBC to begin with. The kinds of people that would watch MSNBC and take it seriously are the kinds of people that listen to, a, listen to Fauci, which is why he's there. But we're certainly at the point now where if you are being influenced by this to put a mask on your young child, uh, then you're the problem. I can't even blame Fauci anymore. You are the problem. This is abusive, what you're doing to your child. There's no excuse anymore. Because you can't say, well, we're, we're right in the middle of this pandemic and, you know, the, the virus is raging and you're just, you're, you're taking every precaution that you can. You don't know exactly what's happening. You're afraid. You're afraid for your kid. That's the excuses people offered six months ago, a year ago. Oh, a year ago, let's say. Um, that doesn't fly anymore. So if you're sp- still putting a mask on your child, then you're the problem. Fortunately, I can say I haven't even seen this. I guess this, this is this a very regional thing now. It'll probably stay that way. Um, I could say here in Tennessee, I haven't seen anyone. I think I've, maybe I've seen, I don't know, a handful of people over the last few weeks wearing masks, and they were all adults. I would like to think that this is not a problem anywhere, but I know, I think I know better than that. Okay, uh, speaking of uh, children, 
Page Six reports on this. It says a British charity committed to limiting family size to help save the environment this week gave Prince Harry and Meghan Markle an award for their decision to have just two children. Population Matters will award the couple who welcomed their second child last month the equivalent of $695 for their enlightened decision to have a small family and for serving as role models for others. $695. Well, these are that's going to come in handy because we know that um, Harry and Meghan, they're on, they've hit financially hard times. That's why they were complaining about it to Oprah. Cut off from their family, having to make do in their 15-bedroom mansion with only their Netflix deal and their book deals and all the interviews they're getting paid for. So that's 700 bucks. That'll come in handy. Um, the, the statement from the charity says, having a smaller family reduces our impact on the earth and provides a better chance for all of our children, for their children and future generations to flourish on a healthy planet. We, can, we commend the Duke and Duchess for taking this enlightened decision and for affirming that a smaller family is also a happy family. Uh, yeah, well, you know, bigger families aren't happy at all. Like I, I came from, uh, yeah, I have five brothers and sisters, nothing but despair and misery in large families. In reality, it's, it's, it seems to me to be the opposite. I mean, we're all going to be biased by our own personal experiences, but and I'm not saying that people that came from, come from smaller families aren't happy, but I come from a larger family. Um, I know a lot of larger families. I've been in that circle. Go to a homeschool convention sometime. Lots of very big families, and people are very, very happy. It's one of the first things you notice. But uh, they're saying that the way to save future generations, that's how sick and twisted this is. The way to save future generations is to eliminate them, is to ensure that there are no more future generations. Because having two kids, that's the award here. We're rewarding them for having two children. Two children is below replacement level. And what's considered, quote-unquote, replacement level can vary depending on the country, what part of the world you're in, because you factor in the mortality rate and all those kinds of things. But um, even in the United States, what is considered replacement level is more than two. So this is below replacement level. If everyone across the world, if if they limited themselves only to that, to two or fewer then eventually we would see the extinction of the human race. Which really, these kinds of environmental groups, population matters and so on, that's really what they want. They want to save the environment by extinguishing human life. They see human life as a a bad thing. They see us as a cancer, a, a plague on the earth. And so they've tallied it tallied it up and uh, and they've said, well, this is this is how many people we should have. And anything more than that, that's overpopulation. We've got the population and the overpopulation. Of course, the funny thing is, people who talk about overpopulation, they, ne- they never seem to count themselves in the over category. Which is why all the people worried about overpopulation, you never see a, you know, a rash of, of, of mass suicides among those people. Because no, they're not going to take themselves out of the equation. No, they want you to take your children out of the equation. And your lineage, your bloodline. Future descendants, that's what they want to take out of the equation. Save the environment by extinguishing human life. That's basically the idea. 
Which raises a question, what is the point of an environment without conscious, rational beings around to experience it? So we want to save this planet for the trees and and non-rational beings by taking the rational beings out of the equation? We are the ones who have placed value on all of this stuff in the first place. And that's especially the case if, uh, if you don't believe in God, which almost everyone who worries about overpopulation, none of them are, are believers. And so for them, there's no objective value to the earth. There's no objective value to a tree. It's all subjective. We have, we have decided. We have placed the value on these things. So you take us out as rational beings capable of projecting value. Take us out and then what value does the tree have? This is an even bigger problem for people who don't believe in God. And they're all the ones. It's almost entirely. People worried about overpopulation are, uh, don't believe in God. Speaking of which, I wanted to actually make this point. We were talking about voting rights earlier. Um, and, I, you know, as I, as I always say, I, I, I don't hide the fact that um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that, that voting rights are this sacred, God-given, inherent right, universal to all mankind. I think it's, a, it's more of a privilege that you should qualify. You should be granted after you qualify for it. That's what I think voting rights should be. Um. And a lot of people don't like that. I get criticized every time I bring that up. And I was getting attacked online for that yesterday. But once again, you run into the same kind of problem. Now, there, there are lots of people who, who disagree, about, disagree with me about voting rights who believe in God. But certainly on the left, almost everyone on the left, it will disagree with, with my assertion that voting rights are not inherent and God-given. Yet they run into the same kind of problem because many of them don't believe in God. So how can they disagree with me? They don't think that any rights are God-given. Which means, by extension, by definition, voting rights aren't God-given. God-given or inherent, because those are basically the same, that's the same idea. If there's no God, then you can't have any God-given rights, obviously. Um, And if there's no God, you also can't have any inherent human right. Those are synonyms. They mean the same thing. What exactly is an inherent human right without God? What does that mean? How can we have rights, entitlements, like we're entitled to things, the universe owes us, just by the nature of the fact that we exist? How can we have that without God? What does it mean to say we have inherent value? Our inherent rights come from our inherent value as human beings. Well, we don't have that. There is no objective value without God. This is a real problem that uh, you, you, you rarely hear anyone on the left really grapple with. You don't believe in God. What even do you mean when you talk about human rights? It would seem like without God, rights would have to be entirely subjective, something granted by the government. And if the government can grant it, then the government can take it away, and you can't really complain when they do. 
because they're the ones who decide. Rarely do I hear that problem um, tackled by anyone on the left. All right, let's move on now. I, I have to tell you, first of all, before we play this clip, that I don't know anything about baseball because I generally prefer sports that I can remain awake while watching. That's I, I like to be awake while I'm watching sports. I don't like for my sports to double as sedatives. And that's just me. So I'm no, I'm no expert on the sport as I dive into this. And in fact, I don't even know who the guy is that we're talking about here. That's how out of the loop I am when it comes to baseball. But Shohei Otani is the biggest superstar in baseball, apparently. News to me. And he's from Japan. Um, Stephen A. Smith, inexplicably one of the biggest stars on ESPN, he had some thoughts about that. And then he had an apology to offer for those thoughts. But let's, let's play the thoughts first. Here he is. When I look at Otani, he is big time. Babe Ruth, 33 home runs, batting 279, got a 4 1 record with a 379 ERA as a pitcher. This brother is special. Make no mistake about it. But the fact that you got a foreign player that doesn't speak English, that needs an interpreter, believe it or not, I think contributes to harming the game to some degree when that's your box office appeal. It needs to be somebody like Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, those guys. And unfortunately, at this moment in time, that's not the case. Now, obviously, Sammy Sosa, we learned later during his testimony on Capitol Hill that suddenly he needed an interpreter. You know, baseball being very, very good to him. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't enough. He needed an interpreter to speak for him when he was on Capitol Hill. Certainly didn't need that when he was smacking those home runs. I'm not taking anything away from Otani. I know what he's doing on the field. I know it's nothing short of spectacular. And I understand that baseball is an international sport itself in terms of participation. But when you talk about an audience, gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, okay? I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what well, the hell he's English saying. <laughs> uh, shockingly, Stephen A. Smith, shortly after saying that, did, did issue an apology uh, he said, in part, I'm sincerely sorry. Let me apologize as I'm watching things unfold. Let me say that I never intended to offend any community, particularly the Asian community, and especially Shohei Otani himself. As an African-American, keenly aware of the damage stereotyping has done to many in this country, it should have elevated my sensitivities even more. Based on my words, I failed in that regard, and it's on me and me alone. I'm so, so sorry. Please forgive me. Please don't take my job away, et cetera, and so forth. Now, here's what I'll say about this. And I hate ESPN. I think Stephen A. Smith is obnoxious. I have no desire to try to bail him out or defend him. But in observation, um, Smith was asked whether it's good for baseball that Otani is the number one attraction. That was the question. If he's only allowed to give one answer to the question, then don't ask it. His point is that the best thing for baseball is what he was saying, in his opinion which he's now claiming was not his opinion. But the opinion that he was clearly expressing is that the best thing for baseball is if the biggest stars are homegrown heroes, you know, hometown boys. Um, that's the best thing he's saying, or was saying before he retreated. That's, that's, not a, that's not a racist point. It's not xenophobic. It's a point about marketing in sports. Agree or disagree, that's what it is. Um. But here's the real mystery to me. See, if you're going to say this, knowing where we are in our culture and knowing that you're on ESPN, of all things, the woke scold central, 
then you must know, you must know that there's going to be a huge backlash. You would have to know that. How do you not know that? I'm not, I'm not even saying that you, you, you shouldn't make the point. That's your opinion. You were asked the question. It's a question about marketing and baseball. And, and so you, you have your point and you made it. Great. What I don't get is uh, how can you be so stupid that as to not know what the response is going to be? If you say it and you know what the response is going to be and you're pre- prepared for it, and so you stand up to it and say, hey, that's my opinion. I gave it. And if you don't like it, I don't care. I'm not hurting anybody. It's just my opinion. If he had taken that approach, I'd respect it. But instead, he apologizes immediately, which, which tells me that he didn't realize there would be a backlash to that opinion that he just expressed. How can you be so oblivious as to not know that? That's the only thing I find surprising about this. All right. Let's move now to reading the YouTube comments. This uh, is from Joe. He says, there's plenty of BIPOC representation in the geosciences. Kanye informed us all about the practice of gold digging. Well done, sir. Well done. Pop culture tie-in. Not very, not a very current tie-in, but, you know, even so. Keon says, the only reason the Daily Wire wouldn't make the Sweet Baby Gang shirt is because Shapiro is just jealous. He's not as popular as you, Matt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's jealous that, I, that he can't do as many pull-ups as I can do. So that's all, that's all this is. Adam says, uh, by the way, don't check the podcast charts to confirm who's more popular here. Just take my word for it. Adam says, the problem with those statues is that in a culture where most people spend their lives whining on Twitter, it's a reminder of people actually doing something with their lives. Yeah, I do think that's part of it. I, I think that there is some envy. Uh, there's some jealousy going on. Um motivating the the destruction of statues. Uh, that's not what motivated the destruction of the George Floyd, Floyd mural. Those are motivations. Wait, those were cosmic motivations. I can't speak to those. But as far as the mobs of people tearing down statues, I, I think that is part of it. These are losers who have never achieved anything in their lives, um, have never even sniffed greatness, have never don't even know what it means to strive for that or try to try to achieve anything. And yeah, I think that's probably part of what psychologically motivates it. Uh, Tyler says, Matt, you have bashed the sanctity of Miller Lite. For that, I'm sad to say you're banned. I lift said banned ban when you read this comment tomorrow. Well, you can't ban me because I ban you. And I, I, I really don't. I, I honestly, I, I don't understand Every time I see someone drinking Miller Lite, okay, if, if these are college kids and they're planning to dump these things into a beer funnel or something, then, okay, I get that. You're not going to use IPA for that. You're not going to use an IPA for that application. It would be a waste of IPA. But when I see grown adults who are just looking for a beer to, to sip and have a nice time, Miller Lite? Was that literally the only option you had? Was it that or like a bottle of goat urine? Were those the two options at your liquor store? Because even then, I'm not so sure I'd, I'd reach for the Miller Lite. Um, and Brent says, controversial view maybe, but sweet baby gang isn't that great of an inside joke. Wouldn't it be better to have a shirt that says, 
all hail the theocratic dictator. That joke has been a much bigger part of the show. I'll suppose I'll be banned now. It's been fun. Well, you're obviously banned. Uh, you know, it's okay if you don't like the sweet baby gang because you aren't invited anyway. You're not invited into it. This gang is only for true sweet babies. You, sir, are a sour baby. I said it. And uh, finally, this is from Nick. I read this comment yesterday and I was, honestly, I was floored by it and traumatized. Nick says, just an unfortunate FYI, Matt, the door close button on elevators only works on independent service or fire service. In normal service, it won't work. I happen to have the keys to make the function work and can provide them for a sweet baby gang shirt. Well, first of all, that's a deal I'll make. But uh, the, you're, you're saying the door close button on an elevator doesn't work. I read this comment yesterday and I, d- I didn't believe it. Are you telling me that the door close button is what, a placebo? My whole life? I, I hit the door close button every single time. I, I rely on it. I, I, I get this, this, this sense of security from it. And even satisfaction, knowing that I'm hitting the door close button while there's someone walking down the hallway. And now they're going to have to wait. I get, a, I get a sick, cruel satisfaction. You're telling me that it doesn't do anything? So I had to look this up. And apparently that's true. We have all been lied to. We have all been duped. With rare exception, ever since 1990, I discovered... Uh, because of the, the Americans with Disability Act, um, the door closed buttons were all disabled almost everywhere, except for, except for like in New York, I think. So in New York, you can still hit that and cut anybody off, even disabled people. They let New Yorkers do that, not surprisingly, but nobody else can. Because you want the idea was we need to get people more. If someone's disabled, they have to have more time to get on the elevator, which doesn't even make any sense because it's not like, yeah, even I, if, if there are a bunch of people standing right at the elevator, I'm not going to run in and hit the door close button to try to cut them all off. Even I wouldn't do that. If they're walking down the hallway, then yeah, I'll do that. But I would do that to anyone, not just a disabled person. It's not because you're able-bodied or disabled. It's just because you're a person and I'd rather not share this space with you. It's all a lie. It's just like the crosswalk button. You know, there are some truths. I got to say this to you, Nick. There are some, there are some truths that, that I think the world is not prepared for. Um, and, and, and this is one. I think you should have kept that to yourself because I don't know what to do now with my life now that I realize it's all been a lie. How dare you? I blame you for this. You're banned from the show. Well, if you have not had a chance to catch uh, Candace Owens' new show yet, then I don't know what you're doing with your life. I don't know how many times we have to tell you about it before you finally give it a shot. But if you haven't, this is the perfect episode to, uh, to watch. This is the perfect introduction, I think, into Candace Owens and The Candace Show. Um, in the latest episode, she discusses the protests in Cuba and weighs in on Marxism with MMA fighter Benil Dariush. Great interview. Don't want to miss that. Miss that. So watch Candace. Um, you can go to Daily Wire right now to watch Candace. You can also, of course, download the audio podcast. And uh, remember, if you, if you like what you hear, to leave that five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever your platform of choice may be. Also, I got to let you know, um, if, you've, if you haven't seen the disturbing clip of a man dressed as an over-sexualized animal reading to children, then, well, you probably saw that clip because I played it. But uh, if you didn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Instead, I'd suggest reading up on the connection between the ideological indoctrination of children and authoritarianism so you can learn how to spot this and stop it before it's too late. It's not, it's not, it's not hard to spot when it's a guy dressed in a rainbow monkey as Rainbow Monkey with his genitalia on display. But how do you stop it? That's an important question. And currently, your best course of action for learning that is pre-ordering Ben Shapiro's new book, The Authoritarian Moment. 
Don't wait. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need to shut America's tyrants down in their tracks before it's too late. The authoritarian moment is available now for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we, we must revisit the body positivity movement or the fat acceptance movement or the fat liberation movement. There are many different names for this movement. All sorts of movements are associated with the celebration of fatness, which is ironic seeing as how a lack of movement is exactly what leads to fatness in the first place. But we begin with the trials and tribulations of uh, fat people when they are traveling. A viral TikTok video featuring a teacher by the name of Mary Frances Donnelly purports to show the sort of discrimination that obese individuals encounter simply by checking into a hotel room. This is apparently a whole series of videos, but we'll watch just one to get the idea. Here it is. Welcome to our hotel's fat phobic. <laughs> With me, your host, your resident fat <laughs> Mary Fran. <laughs> Come hither. Let's take a look at the bathroom. <laughs> As one might see, it looks normal. Would you like to take a pee or a poop? <laughs> Don't worry, you'll barely fit. <laughs> So she appears to have a good sense of humor about things in that video, which is nice. Uh, a nice change of pace from the, the sort of hectoring, scold tone that you, you get from most TikTok videos of this sort. But a report from ABC News explains that this is no laughing matter. They interviewed Donnelly about her traveling as a fat person series, and uh, this is how she explained it. Quote, this video is my way of highlighting a very real stress I felt for years and have only recently begun to unpack as I have looked at my existence as a fat slash plus-sized person in this world. The article then continues, while the tone of the videos is light, these things can affect how travelers move within that space. Donnelly isn't alone. The comment section on her video are flooded with people in solidarity offering up similar experiences. Quote, I travel with my own bath sheet and pool towel to avoid the tiny towel debacle shown in the TikTok video, Annette Richmond, founder of Fat Girls Traveling, told GMA. Quote, I have to become a travel detective while booking accommodations, investigating the hotel chairs and bed frames, avoiding plastic chairs, chairs with arms and metal bed frames at all costs because they can buckle under pressure. Um, the message this sends to plus-side travelers, Donnelly said, is that a vacation can't truly be a vacation. Travelers either have to deal with humiliation or prime a trip with hours of research into what a room's sizing and amenities may look like, she said. Quote, simple things like a towel size or whether a chair is stable enough to hold a person's weight is completely disregarded and chalked up to the traveler's issue, she said. Quote, it furthers the narrative that larger-bodied people are expected to roll with the punches and accept this sort of treatment because since the dawn of diet culture, we've, made, we've been made to feel like we're the problem. Okay, well, I'm not sure if there's any delicate way to put this, but if you find that you need to research ahead of time what sort of furniture will be in your hotel room for fear that it won't support your weight, then yes, ma'am, you are the problem. Or rather, we should say you have the problem. The problem is that you carry so much weight on your body that an average piece of furniture cannot sustain it. Whose problem is that if not yours? I mean, 
Who has introduced that problem into the equation? Who's really at fault? Apparently the hotel is at fault for not making their chairs out of, I don't know, concrete. We can find a similar theme in another article published this week. Uh, This one from the website Fast Company about the changes your workplace should make in order to better accommodate the fattest among us. It gives a number of helpful tips, like suggesting that any uh, office wellness programs should be, quote, weight neutral. In other words, you should redefine wellness to include morbid obesity and heart disease. In other words, you should redefine wellness to include unwellness. Of course, we're warned that any office swag like T-shirts should come in large enough sizes that it could potentially double as a bedsheet. And then it says this about the furniture. Quote, Companies that are serious about size inclusion should look at their facilities and workspaces, says Peggy Howell, vice chairman and public relations director of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. Think about including seats without arms or a combination of typical chairs and bench seating to accommodate larger bodies. The organization has has created an HR guide and defines a size-friendly chair as one with a seat size of 22.25 inches and a back size of 23 inches width and uh, 23 inches height. Chair seats should uh, be height adjustable and should accommodate at least 450 pounds. At least 450 pounds. Think about that. Just for reference, Andre the Giant was only 70 pounds heavier than that at 520 pounds, but he was well over seven feet tall. Aaron Gibson was an offensive lineman and one of the heaviest men to ever play in the NFL. He was six foot six and clocked in at around 410 pounds. Most NFL linemen weigh 300 pounds less than that. So to be clear, the National Association for Fat Acceptance says that in order to be truly fat accepting, you must specifically accommodate people who are, who are heavier than the heaviest NFL player to ever play the game. And I don't mean to belabor the point here, okay, but The tallest man in recorded history was a guy named Robert Wadlow. He was almost nine feet tall. He reached, I think it was 8'11", is what he he reached by the time of his death. Nine feet tall. And he weighed 440 pounds. Okay? The people who weigh 440 pounds today are not nine feet tall. Many of them aren't even six feet tall. So my point here is just that 450 pounds is very, very, very overweight. I think in order, by the CDC's BMI calculation, in order for 450 to be, to be a normal or healthy weight, you would have to be like nine and a half feet tall. So when the, uh, when the fat acceptance movement calls for fat acceptance, they aren't simply saying that we should get rid of the beauty standards, which demand that women all have the weight and physique of an upside down mop. You know, most of us agree that rail thin should not be the standard and it isn't the standard anymore. And hasn't been for a while. I mean, everyone agrees on that. But fat acceptance goes way beyond that. They're calling for acceptance of extreme, morbid, dangerous, fatal obesity. The type that requires a lifestyle of chronic gluttony and laziness to achieve. Yeah, there are there are thyroid conditions. There are, you know, people have different body types and all of that. People have different metabolisms. I get all of that. But that doesn't explain 450 pounds. That doesn't explain morbid obesity. And for that reason, fat acceptance is an evil, despicable, anti-human movement. It's not different. It's no different from anorexia acceptance or bulimia acceptance. It's just on the opposite end of the spectrum. 
There is no difference morally speaking. It is a celebration of self-destruction either way. And there's something else too. I mean, this fat acceptance stuff is a symptom of a larger problem, pun sort of intended. The problem is that in our culture today, we're losing one of the most basic skills, one of the most fundamental capacities for any living organism. That is the ability to adapt to our surroundings. Okay. Now, now, like any capacity, this has to be moderated. It's possible to be too adaptive, to try and blend in too much. But when properly utilized, adaptation for a human being means simply that we are conforming ourselves and our behavior to the structures of reality. We are accommodating reality. Now, like we talked about in the opening, these days, though, accommodation is supposed to go the other way around. We constantly expect that reality will accommodate us. So we're going to be however we want to be and whoever we want to be. And we demand that all of reality, all of society fit in around us. We walk through our lives every day like Moses standing in front of the Red Sea, demanding that it part and allow us to walk across. Only whereas Moses used the power of the Almighty to part the sea, we try to use the power of social pressure, of cancel culture, of activism, of government, or some combination of these to accomplish the same end. And it works, oftentimes. The entitled, whiny baby who's able to browbeat everyone else into conforming themselves to him, he's able to do that so that he doesn't have to conform himself to them. They accommodate him instead of him accommodating them. It, it, It does often work these days. It works in that immediate sense anyway. But it doesn't work in the deeper sense. It doesn't make the whiny baby happy or fulfilled. That's why he remains a whiny baby, even after he gets what he wants. He is still miserable because he's clinging on to his own destruction. The thing that he refuses to let go of is the very thing that is causing his despair. The thing that he wants everyone to accommodate accommodate, is the thing that's destroying him. He can force everyone to pretend that these bad parts of himself are good, but he can't actually make the bad parts good. They're still bad. They'll still destroy him. They will still make him unhappy. Because in the end, reality wins. It always does, one way or another. Even after all of us are gone, reality remains. And for that reason, the woman in that TikTok video is canceled. Once again, it was a long journey to get there, but we get back around to the cancellation. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, my sweet babies. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, President Biden goes fully radical by declaring half the country akin to Jim Crow racists. Texas Democrats fly private and live it up in D.C. while declaring they are fighting for the people and 
The Biden State Department says we must answer for our racism to the United Nations. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.